Hello, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. Uh, my name is Simon Thompson. I'm usually your host for today, but actually today we're doing things a little bit differently. This is a special bonus episode and we're going to have a special guest host uh, taking us through an exciting conversation today uh, focused around the world of esports, which I know really next to nothing about. So I'm excited to learn myself as we go through this uh, conversation today. But why are we doing this? Well, it's a big month, October. You know, we just did our um, security podcast episode uh, just last week. And, you know, it's Cybersecurity Month. It's also a big month in the world of education here in North America uh, with a big event called Educause happening. And we wanted to get some content out that really just paid attention to the fact that it is there's a lot going on in that education space, a lot of conversations happening right now. And esports seems like a very fun topic to me. It sounds exciting. So I'm definitely looking forward to this. But just before I hand it over to our guest host for today, um, I'd like to just remind you that uh, Meraki Unboxed is is a podcast we run every two weeks. This is episode 89, and there is a ton of great content out there. So if you're interested in learning more about Meraki, the people and the technology, I definitely recommend you go back and have a look at that archive. I think you're going to find some very interesting content in there. And if you have ideas for the show, we're always looking for those. So please do reach out to me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle there is at Meraki Simon. And just send me your ideas, send me your thoughts, send me your feedback. Would love to hear from you. Okay, let's get into the main content for today. I'm going to hand things over to my colleague, Kaylee, who is going to take us into this conversation. Kaylee, over to you. Hi, Simon. Um, gosh, this is so exciting to be here. I feel very official with my headphones on. I imagine you feel like this every week, but it's, uh, it's a real much. treat <laughs> today. Um, so my name is Kaylee Lund. I, I use they, them pronouns, and I'm responsible for the curation and cura uh, creation of global customer stories for Cisco Meraki. Um, and I also manage Meraki's customer advocacy program, Meraki Insiders. Uh, but actually, before I even came into the tech world, I worked in enrollment management and admissions for a liberal arts college. So basically, I'm thrilled to be talking about education, and I'm also thrilled to be talking about video games because I love playing video games, and um, I also used to host a podcast in my previous workplace. So really, this is just like the perfect intersection of all the things that I love. But uh, I also, Simon, before we really keep going wanted to just highlight that you have been doing this podcast for three years now. Mm -hmm. It is amazing that, you know, without fail, you have been producing content for people to engage with and listen to throughout the pandemic before. Just, I'm really in awe of the work you've done on this. And oh. I'm really wanting to take a moment as your guest host to be able to highlight your good work. So thank you. For well, thank you done. very much. I'm really excited for this one. So um, yeah, away you go. Thank you. So today, like uh, Simon said, uh, we're going to get to talk about esports on a college campus and uh, getting to learn a little bit more about how uh, a university is using Rocky Technology, Cisco Technology, to power their esports program. It is my total pleasure to introduce Adam Kaler, who's the Chief Technical Officer at Ottawa University. Um, Adam, how's it going? Welcome to Meraki Unboxed. Thank you, Kaylee. It is going great today. Thank you guys so much for ha having me on. Definitely. I'm I'm thrilled. I know that we've gotten to chat just once before and bond over our love of Zelda and all things nerdery. So I know that this is going to be a great conversation. Um, but I'd love to, you know, have you kind of introduce yourself to folks listening, share a little bit about your background, how you got to Ottawa University and um, a little bit about about your life and what you do. You bet. You bet. Sure. So um, as you said, my name is Adam Kaler. I am currently the chief technical officer for Ottawa University. 
Uh, I've been here just about six years, probably just a little bit over. Um, so yeah, I, I am a kind of in the weeds IT guy, right? So I've, I've been doing this for, for a while. I'm uh, primarily a hardware person. Um, I often joke that my, my first job within IT was um, I worked for a, a small computer retailer and I had to actually replace the motherboard. So I had my, my, my screwdriver gun. I took out four screws, took out old motherboard, put in a new motherboard, put in those four screws and sent it down the line. Uh, I realized pretty quickly, didn't want to do that for 40 years. So, <laughs> so kind, kind of awareness. Yeah. 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 I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't great. So I uh, kind of worked my way into the networking world, um, you know, where I first was exposed uh, to, to Cisco in, in general, of course, as, as many network technicians are as kind of the Holy grail in, in terms of uh, getting to that point. So, <clears throat> so I, I, uh, I worked within networking and a couple different um, consulting ventures, uh, working there and uh, worked my way up to head of system building for a, for a company here in, in East Central Kansas. Uh, from there, kind of spent a little bit of time in the finance industry where I was a, a director of IT and uh, focused a lot on risk assessment and technology advancement and kind of how, how scale works for, for small rural banks. Uh, and then from there, I moved within the education space, which I've been in for, gosh, just about 10 years, which makes me feel old. But <laughs> Well, just, congratulations. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I started in uh, the K-12 space in my hometown of Garnet, Kansas, little bitty tiny town, about an hour south of the Kansas City metro area. Um, worked there for a little while and then uh, was was blessed with the opportunity to come up, up here to Ottawa University. Um, so I started out within the um, data center section and Managed that portion and, and slowly kind of gathered some more hats and responsibilities. And I was promoted to CTO back in uh, July of 21. Well, congratulations again. That's a, quite, a, quite a journey you've had just at one university as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, with, with, with that, what we're talking about today is uh, eSports. So we, we, you know, we kind of uh, we, we launched eSports back in, in 2019 and I was uh, a big part of that for better or for worse. So uh, it was it was really fun to kind of uh, explore the entrepreneurial side of IT, which we don't really get to. Um, lots of times it's just break fix and and see what's what's not working and then making sure the Wi-Fi is up. Right. So. To, to kind of apply the the business metrics from obtaining my MBA from 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 OU uh, was was a, it was great to kind of flex that a little bit. <laughs> I bet I I love how you described it too as entrepreneurial. Can you tell me more about what you mean when you say you kind of use the got to view the entrepreneurial parts of this? Sure, sure. It, 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 there was nothing like this within within OU. There was a little bit of technology, a little bit of student affairs, a little bit of athletics. So it was really kind of reinventing the wheel in terms of what student engagement really, really looks like. Uh, so and and it's kind of a, a funny story with with how it started. Um, initially, uh, the scope of esports within within Ottawa University was kind of discussed as, as being what we call a rescue sport. Uh, to where if there's a student athlete that comes on campus to play football and they happen to tear their ACL and need surgery and they can't play football at that level again or in any sport for that matter, then there's there's sports like esports that would be there to kind of um, make sure that student is still involved within the student body and they have something to do for, for their scholarship to continue their their education. Uh, so that was the initial thought process back in 2018. Fast forward to 2020. 2022, and now we have over 40 students in, in the program. Uh, we compete in multiple games. We've won a national championship, um, which I, I certainly can't take the credit for. I just, 
yeah, I think I so, but it's 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 maybe pretty a little bit, maybe a little just, bit, just a little bit, right? I'm if 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 the you know if the internet didn't work, they wouldn't be able to play. I'm just yeah. saying. That's I'm saying too. <laughs> um, and for viewers at home, if you're thinking, boy, Ottawa University and Kansas in the same sentence, is is Adam? Do Adam and Kaylee know what they're talking about? Yes, yes, we do. It's Ottawa, Kansas, not Ottawa up in Canada. Though I'm sure you get that quite a bit, Adam. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Times a week. <laughs> Do you ever get applications sent to your university that actually are meant for a, a, a place in Canada? Absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we get folks who think that they're applying to the different college. Um, even I've heard stories about submitted payments to oh, the wrong no. colleges. <laughs> yeah. People, you know, folks trying, trying to pay and uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the wrong institution. So <laughs> the first, uh, the first real challenge is if you can identify it's the correct school, then in the correct location, then then it's a little bit easier to get in. Hopefully, at least uh, the starting point. Um, but <laughs> let's let's go back to the beginning too. So I've loved hearing about your very like holistic technology background. I think that really shows up in the ways that you were able to kind of implement all of the different Meraki pieces on campus and the way that, you know, campus runs on, on Wi-Fi and, and, and the ways in which that it's been um, just growing too. I'm curious if you can just kind of walk us through what esports are, what esports is, what's, what's the, what's the correct verbiage for that? Maybe we can start there. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's is, but you know, <laughs> I'm an IS major, not an English major. So I, I probably can't help there. So, uh, so at, at the core of it is uh, competitive gaming. Uh, so, and there's a number of, of different titles. I, I think that the best way to describe it would be to equate esports to track and field. So, with um, inside of the esports umbrella, there's a number of different titles. Uh, and one of the common misconceptions is thinking that uh, there'll be one student that come on campus and he or she will compete in Rocket League. And then, well, why can't they? compete in Overwatch. Well, we wouldn't ask, you know, the long distance runner to also throw shot put unless that was that happened to be within their wheelhouse. So or a sprinter uh, to run a marathon. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a way better comparison. Thank you. So uh, it's all the same. It's like, I love that analogy. It's track and field. It's a thousand different events, right? Uh, you could be good absolutely. at all of them or none of them, but probably not all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I think um, working through that and our, our, our coach, Alex does a fantastic job, you know, of, of kind of walking through all of the, all of the, the, the aspects of that. One, one of the big challenges, not only managing the, the students and the titles that they play, but the, the practice schedules, the competition schedules, and the, the different leagues that each of these titles are, are in. So we play Rocket League, Call of Duty, um, Overwatch, League of Legends, a lot of those perennial titles, we we really kind of we we rose to fame with um, our Call of Duty team, uh, which um, launched really when the the program really took off around 2020. And I think that's the one. Is that the one that where you won the national championship? Yes. Yeah. We actually we finished first and second, so it was a all Ottawa final. So absolutely sweeping the competition. Wow. <laughs> It was, it, it was fantastic. So, and, you know, we, we, we tell folks that, and so they think, okay, well, there might be like six teams in this, but it was, it was a very large bracket. And there was a number of division one schools that, that were a part of that. I think during the year we beat Texas A&M and um, Florida state, I think um, LSU at, at one point. So it was, it was a, a great experience just to be able to, to mention Ottawa university with, with those folks. Right. In so the that same was breath, right. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I can imagine too, really put yourselves on the map in a lot of different ways, both in terms of how your your school quickly became like a national leader and winner in this in this world, but also 
Um, you know, I, what what did it show the leadership at your university um, after you, your teams won those, both first and second place, right? I mean, what, what did they take away from that? Yeah, so I, I think primarily what the what they take, take away is the legitimacy of, of esports. Um, so I, I think just being in that in that space and, and understanding how that can that can help students. I think one, one of the, the the primary benefactors of this are the students that that come within the esports program. Those are students that may not have come to Ottawa University otherwise, right? So that's typically a, a, a different type of student, right? The, those students are more interested in engineering, computer science, graphic design, right? So there's uh, it's it's not your your typical college student from a, a athletic standpoint. Yeah, I'm sure it brings in a, a unique way to both recruit and maintain those students. And especially I'm thinking for athletes for whom, you know, a injury would be a devastating loss to not only playing that sport, but also putting their education in jeopardy if they were to lose a scholarship. I know you talked about it originally as, you know, a potential rescue sport, but it seems like it's quickly grown to become quite a pillar of your university's athletics program. It really has. And uh, even on the, the Ottawa, Kansas campus and also in our surprise Arizona campuses as well. So we have um, spaces at both campus sites. And so they have become a fixture of, of tours of, of, of the campus and just conversations around the, the university in general. I bet it must be a, like a little bit of pride to hear when those tour guides are walking by and saying, and this is the blah, blah, blah part for the blah, blah, right? And then, then you're like, oh, I helped that blah, blah, blah part. That's my esports. Name it correctly. Well, I, have, <laughs> I have zero shame in that. So I, 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 the, the, the first year, yeah, I was I was trying to like sneak over there during every campus tour. Like, yeah, look, 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 you want know, to, to hang this light bulb, took this amount of, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. it's pretty fun. I, and it's so cool to get to know that that's now a big reason people are coming to university. Um, so I, I'd love to visit, let's take a, a trip back to 2019 when we were all a lot less jaded <laughs> pre-pandemic, but, um, and also like eventually I'd love to talk about what it was like to launch this program amidst a pandemic as well. Cause I'm sure that was uh, a huge challenge, but first let's talk about what was the inspiration for installing this esports program onto, onto Ottawa's university's campus? You know, I, I think esports had been talked about at the campus, but there's a lot of uh, folks that didn't really understand what was involved with it and kind of what the what the real impact would be and is this really real? Um, so I, I think there was a, a lot of those conversations initially. Our chancellor at, at the time, Kevin Eichner, he was um, on a fundraising trip and then uh, talked to a person who was a potential fundraiser for the university and was introduced to the owner of the esports franchise base in Dallas. Uh, so and. You know, a, a part of that that conversation was, hey, this the esports is really launching. It's becoming a huge deal um, in North America. It's you know been a very big deal in Asia for some time, uh, but it's it's starting to 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 really impact here. And uh, wouldn't it be great if Auto University was one of the schools on on the forefront of launching esports within the higher education space. I bet that was huge to have your chancellor being the advocate there. I'm sure that's very unusual um, across college campuses where you, the person on top is the one like leading the charge there. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's kind of within, you know, kind of um, Autumn University is, is we, we always try to pride ourselves on on being um, the forerunners in many different types of, of education and educational endeavors, even from online education 20 years ago. Uh, so, so it was. It's really kind of in the DNA 
of of OU, I would say. Uh, so it it was just the the next challenge. Uh, has I was only been there a couple of years that time. I was excited to be a part of that conversation with the chancellor and with other major leaders within the university. So. So your your chancellor comes back from this experience learning about esports, and then what happens? How how do you get to make you know the moves to you know implement this esports program on campus? Sure, sure. So we we actually took a trip uh, to the NACE conference, which is was in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to meet with some other schools and some of the the larger schools that have really already had their their name within esports, Boise State, Marysville, Harrisonburg, all of those types. Uh, so in you know, attending that, that conference, I think the vast majority were, were like Ottawa University at the time, which we were looking for a way to launch esports. And what does this really mean? How does it has impact students? And what what we found is there, unfortunately, at other locations, there there was a tendency to kind of shortchange some of the, the technical aspects. Right. Well, they would take a portion of the computer lab or mm. had to be scheduled a, around classes. And so. With those shortcomings and some of the student frustrations that, that we heard from, from those type of, of programs, we found a way to differentiate ourselves. We found a way to actually go on the marketplace and partner with, at the time, uh, CDW and then um, Horizon out of New Jersey uh, to, to really kind of construct a, 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 a true esports arena, which I think at the time was the, the largest one outside of the one in full sale in, in Florida. That's super so, cool. <laughs> oh yeah, it was. It, yeah, it was. It was fun. I I always say that I, I wish we would have took a lot more pictures of kind of the before and after. The before was kind of an episode of Hoarders. Oh <laughs> there no, was just, <laughs> there was just stuff everywhere, and folks certainly had the best of intentions, right? In in terms of trying to upgrade pieces and portions of theater equipment and lighting and sound over the years, but didn't really have with that kind of the the total project scope. So that, that's what we came in with. Um, you know, to, to kind of help develop that space and what, what would be something that would work for traditional theater, um, you know, band and choir concerts, but also for, for esports. And it's been primarily our, our esports location for the better part of the time it's been installed. So, so it sounds like uh, what is now the arena was previously a theater that was, it sounds like pretty old and in need of updates anyway. Can you walk us through what that renovation looked like? Yeah, it was, there, there was a times it felt like it was too fast and times it felt like it was going to a crawl. So, <laughs> it, you know, it was the, the scope of it was just, um, looking back now, I'm, I'm surprised that we were a little more overwhelmed. Uh, we, you know, we replaced all of the electrical in the space to have new um, electrical equipment. Uh, we installed uh, a lot of new networking cable, of course, powered by Cisco Meraki to, to help facilitate all of our connection needs. Uh, and then, you know, paint patch and fix and new carpet and that, and that sort of thing. Uh, and all and the cosmetic was, details. <laughs> yeah, all the cosmetic details. And that was, you know, working with um, a local architect, we kind of helped um, determine what was the best way to, to mount and install all of these modern technical components in a theater that was built, you know, in the early 20th century. So uh, and, and that was and that, that was fun. It was kind of a head scratcher at the time. But eventually, looking back, it was extremely rewarding, I would say. And I'm sure to be able to bring life into an old building that was already on campus. I mean, 
I I can't imagine it might have been kind of an energy suck in in terms of if it was just staying there and not really renovated, right? But giving it new life and having it be a home to not only the esports programs, but like you said, music programs or you know theatrical department programs. I think I mean that's a huge thing that also draws new people to campus, knowing that you have both a leader, you know, you're a leader in the space of esports, but also you have these really amazing facilities that not every university has. Absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and that was. And once we had, I'll say, alumni come back and tour the space and, and saw the, the transformation that, that it made, the, you know, all, although folks didn't really understand and kind of question the whole notion of, of esports, they certainly appreciated the, the work that was done in the space, the, the large projector screen that was put up, um, the line array speakers, you know, so we could have really concert level sound, um, the, the fully automated lighting rig um, that, that we had to to really help and, and kind of um, uh, make for a really professional look on the stage itself. Yeah, I think that would be, I mean, amazing as a college student to be able to go to a place that had a facility like that. I just, I think back to, you know, I, I certainly saw lots of college tours and places like that uh, when I was back touring colleges that did not have any sort of facilities like this. Um, sure. So I'm, I'm curious to you, how did you make the decisions about what pieces of technology and Meraki technology to implement in this space? How do you set up a, a an old theater from, like you said, the earliest 20th century and turn it into an esports arena? Yeah. And that was, and that was, it was a tough portion of it, but once we kind of dove into it, it was, it was really fun. So, cause we really got to think about the use cases of who's going to be using this space. And the, the first and foremost, as it always is, the concern is around the esports athletes and what, what competitions that, that they're going to be in, what games that they'll be competing in, uh, and how do we provide the best bandwidth that, that, we, that we possibly can and at the most secure levels, right, so they so they can um, enjoy the game that they're playing and then also be successful. So I think that was first and foremost, but that's, you know, hardwired um, Ethernet cable uh, to, to, to make sure that we have the least amount of routing points possible in between. And then I, I think further from there, it was more about utilizing Meraki wireless solutions to determine uh, for the spectators be, uh, for, so they could have the best experience possible. Um, you know, and that's where it kind of it gets a little of the gray area because of the pandemic. We were starting to get a, a lot of really good numbers um, within the arena itself. And folks were coming up just about every every Saturday to to watch our Overwatch team play and then the pandemic hit, right? And then, and then we unfortunately couldn't have folks there anymore. Um, so, but, but that was uh, a, a way because much like a traditional stadium in, environment, folks want to interact with the sport that they're watching, right? So if, if they're at, uh, of course, I'm from Eastern Kansas. So if we're at, at a Chiefs game, we want to be able to pull up statistics, right? To, to, to see who's, who's done what, how many yards Travis Kelsey has, um, all, all this and the other. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's very similar. Whereas in the esports realm, they want, I want to look up the, the gamer tag of, of the player that they're seeing to see what other games that they stream or, right. or what their reach is on Twitch. Right. Because it's not just a, a kind of a nice to have with esports. I, I feel like it is kind of a requirement that you need to be able to, you know, see how these people compare in real time and looking at their platforms and the way they've previously played. Um, especially when you are in the space with them at, at, during a competition. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how does uh, setting up an esports arena on a university differ from just setting up the ability for people to play video games? I think a lot of people would just assume that, okay, you need, sure, Ethernet's nice to have, but why, why does it need to be this way? What, what, what special things do you need to make it into a secure arena? 
Sure. So it's it's really about width um, and scalability. So, you know, if if you were to set up a a gaming lounge, right, you, you would have a finite number of of, of stations that you have to provide service to. Whereas for esports, you would have to kind of think ahead about what titles that you're going to grow to and then what's kind of the, the total picture that you need to provide uh, for, for all the athletes who, who partake in, in the program. So there, there's, a, like I said, going back to like the, the gaming lounge idea, which we we're certainly looking to implement, you know, I think a, a lot of universities and colleges are. Yeah. Uh, so with, with that, it's, it's, it's a very finite number, right? You, you kind of know exactly what, what you have and you kind of control that space a, a little bit. Whereas with an esports arena, you don't, you want to control the space, but you don't want to limit the growth and the usage of it. So there, there has to be more scalability. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with security when it comes to, um, I think back to, you know, especially during the pandemic, people are worried about Zoom bombings or, you know, you know, all of a sudden there are people in a, in a lobby or in a meeting that shouldn't be there. Um, is that similar for esports? Are there similar concerns regarding that? It is. Uh, the, so there, uh, in terms of folks joining the actual match, not quite so much. Those are authenticated accounts. Uh, so there, there isn't really that, that much concern within that realm. Uh, I'll say just with the, the games themselves and, and, and just trying to make sure that we have the latest security patches so we're not causing any, any issues because um, they, they have to be able to, um, to compete, to compete in the, the title that they're in the, the conference of. One thing that we found and, and had kind of a, a issue with uh, is that if the games aren't up to date, that puts the competitors at a, at a competitive disadvantage. You know, when the pandemic hit, people weren't able to actually be in an esports arena with people and seeing the competitions. What what happens with the esports program during that time? Well, we uh, tried to reevaluate, and uh, you know, it became pretty clear pretty quickly uh, that students could still participate within the esports program even if they were at home. So, when when the pandemic first hit, you know, around spring break time, which a, a number of other educational institutions did the exact same thing, but all the students went home for, to participate within remote learning, right? So, so with that, uh, you know, that about the only event that folks could still participate in was esports. So it, it kind of helped uh, students to meet and kind of still have that camaraderie. I bet it was nice. And for them too, to have that lifeline back to campus. And the reason that maybe they were, you know, choosing Ottawa to be able to, you know, continue their education, but also have this program that they were chosen for, selected for, wanting to be a part of. Sure. Um, so we talked a little bit about how setting up a esports arena is a different type of, you know, configuration than maybe setting up just a regular university for Wi-Fi and, you know, capabilities there. Um, what does the rest of your campus look like? Um, does Meraki, you know, are there other Meraki pieces on campus? Absolutely. So we are a full stack Meraki shop at all four of our campus locations. Uh, so if, if someone's connecting to a network at an Ottawa University facility, then they're doing so by utilizing Meraki solutions. It's cool to think that people are able to like submit papers and also like watch YouTube videos on campus because of Meraki. I think, you know, when you work for a tech company that has hardware like that, stories like yours and being able to humanize it and show how people are using it on campus or in their, you know, industries, it's so helpful, I think, for for people to really kind of get a sense of how Meraki can, you know, help make their lives better. So, um, and, and, and that was so helpful within the pandemic because we could we could take traffic that needed to be prioritized, right, for for Zoom meetings or Blackboard Collaborate, 
whatever the platform or methodology that that existed, you know, Meraki helped us reach that that goal, even through remote connectivity through their VPN client. If you hadn't had Meraki on campus, do you think that your switch to remote learning would have been as successful? I can't say that it would have been. Uh, I I definitely believe that the the nature of the the Meraki solution being has flexible and dynamic and scalable as it is, it allowed us to kind of turn on on a dime. And not only from the client perspective, but also allow connectivity from outside the the network. So for example, one of the things that that we accomplished that was so successful for us was launching a, a, basically a online terminal server through a web gateway that we utilize the the Meraki networking technology through our firewall to allow those connections to come in. So what does that mean in terms of the student experience? What, what does that translate to? So for the, the, the student experience, it didn't impact students as, as much. Um, the majority of their functionality was within web-based po- uh, programs that were either hosted here or through um, cloud partners. It was really for our um, faculty and staff who could not come to campus, um, either because they were concerned about their health or had a, a health issue or the, the mandates from local government would not allow it. That allowed those folks to work from home from whatever device that they needed to without the university providing a separate device because laptops were really hard to come by, right? So yeah. that was kind of the beginning of our, of our supply chain issue. So that really helped facilitate remote work for folks uh, in, a, in a much different way than we had previously imagined. I, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I previously had been really, you know, talking so much about these students. And part of that is my bias from working at admissions where I was so much working with students. But I think when you're thinking not just about the, the student experience or visitor experience, you know, coming to see these competitions, but the actual faculty and staff and people working at, at a campus to keep it going. I mean, that's huge to know that those people didn't necessarily have to worry about their jobs or being able to work from home safely. Uh, like you said, if maybe they had a health condition or there were certain, you know, mandates that made them work from home. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it was a successful solution during that really turbulent time when there wasn't a lot that was <laughs> super, you know, definitive that Meraki was able to help make that happen. Is there anything that we're, when we're thinking about esports or set up on campus or the actual theater space that you want to mention because maybe I haven't asked about? I would say that the audiovisual technology with an esports program is almost as equally as important as the network capabilities of the program itself, or even the machines that students are are gaming on. Uh, to, to be able to broadcast to the world um, the work that these students are are doing in the medium that they're doing it in, I think is very important and helps give legitimacy to to esports in general. Absolutely. So, what did that look like in your in your arena? Sure. So we actually, we mounted uh, a couple cameras that went back to a, a, a Blackmagic video production system. Now this was, you know, 2018, 2019 when we kind of designed and installed everything. So there was a kind of a in-between time in terms of technology, if you will. So a number of our, our cameras and the solutions we have were on older SDI-based technology. Uh, what we're pivoting now is to actually utilize our Meraki backbone, the, the network itself, to use NDI and Dante type technology to help um, transmit our audio and video signals to our streaming computer, which then sends it out to Twitch, YouTube gaming, or whichever platform we need to. That's pretty cool. And again, something I wouldn't necessarily think about, even though I will sometimes watch these competitions happening on Twitch, I don't necessarily think about how at the same time these things are, you know, 
happening on campus with the, with the players that also all this web capability and traffic of actually streaming so people can engage with that. That's a really good reminder. Yeah, it's, it, it's very exciting when you think about the, the different mediums that can exist on a computer network. Um, that's also said from a computer networking nerd, so that might be a little bit of bias. So. Well, I mean, nerd is what we do here, so I don't know if that's necessarily <laughs> the soundbite we want. <laughs> but I, uh, no, I I love I love hearing when people are able to kind of share their expertise in a way that also ties into their job. So I I love getting to hear that passion and like the love of nerdery that you have coming through. So um, I, I'm curious, you know, as we're thinking about not just you know education and, you know, the uh, opportunities that uh, esports allows students to be able to have to attend uh, uh, college and universities. I'm curious about running the college as as a business as well. So has this esports program opened up any new revenue streams on your university's campus that maybe previously weren't there? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, just in terms of the, of the students themselves being a part of the program, you know, kind of we talked a, a little bit earlier about uh, that I do believe that the majority of these students are students that would not have um, would not have attended Ottawa University otherwise. Uh, so I think getting those folks in here and kind of ex experience the campus uh, through the, the the lens of esports. Uh, you know, we're certainly looking for for other ways uh, to, to utilize traditional streaming um, technology and platforms, Twitch and YouTube gaming, uh, to, to see how that can kind of augment the revenue stream. Uh, I, I think we're, I think a lot of higher ed schools are, or I think a lot of higher ed institutions are getting there. Uh, just not sure what that really looks like in, in total scope. And we're, you know, we're kind of walking that line every day to try to figure out where the heck all this stuff goes. Well, I feel like you're one of the most prepared to to jump in when you do find exactly where, where your next steps are um, with all of the equipment on, on campus, but also having this arena already built in with all the equipment. Back when you were thinking about how to really set up your campus for success, or maybe in that case, it was just one campus, but really how to, thinking about how you wanted the legacy of technology to look on campus. Uh, tell me more about how you, you know, how Meraki became part of that equation and what that looked like when you were planning out the future of campus. You bet. So I, I actually uh, walked into the 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 network refresh project is what we called it here internally. Um, so back in August of 2016, when I when I started, we had just begun replacing all of the existing network equipment with with Meraki. Uh, and so the the goal of that at that time was just to have a layer three solution that was scalable, that we didn't need a um, extremely experienced network technician at every location, that we could um, manage all these different locations that we had from a single pane of glass. Now, you know, what they say, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. <laughs> we, we selected the solution and it went live and it was a great success for us. And then we launched our, our surprise campus in the fall of 17. Uh, and so with that, it, it was pivotal that we utilized Meraki as a partner to really scale up to that solution. And, you know, I talk a lot, a lot about width in, in terms of a, a solution scale. And that was, uh, you know, we, we could we add a whole other campus node. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. It was just trying to get the right equipment in the right place. Uh, and once it's there, then hooking everything up to, to the ISP and then we're ready to go. Then we're providing Wi-Fi to this location that had nothing a day ago. Uh, so the, the the fact that you can add equipment and really kind of weave it into your existing network so seamlessly uh, was, was a, a huge point for us. And 
it really made me even more of a believer in Meraki. I was always aware of the Meraki solution, but I didn't really um, understand the the total scope of it or, or really what all the benefits were and, until I started here and really managed this, this project and really got to dive in, into the solution. What were some of the benefits that did surprise you? Sure. So just how easy it was to add hardware. So once we procured the, the hardware and got it on, on site to add it into the network to get it functional was really, you know, it was it was not a matter of days or weeks as it would be with traditional hardware solutions, because uh, we always something that we forgot because maybe something wasn't really meant to plug into another. Right. Uh, but the Meraki solution, especially being a, a full stack one, uh, it made it really easy to kind of combine everything together and just launch everything from the get go. So you talked about, you know, it would otherwise take you days or weeks, you know, how, how long or how much time do you think that you saved, you know, using Meraki and adding Meraki onto your previous solution? Well, my, uh, so I would say that in, in terms of, of total time, of course, it depends on the, on the, the scope of the project and, and, and the size of the building, but it was, it was definitely hours um, and, and days at, at most in terms of to, to get these, these new facilities online and working. Do you think that, how long do you think it would have taken if you hadn't had Meraki, like comparatively? Gotcha. So it, it, typically in other institutions I've, I've worked at and other networks, uh, if, if we don't have a solution like Meraki, uh, it was always a struggle to get multiple vendors to kind of talk to each other. And even if it wasn't in terms of like the hardware plugging in and working correctly and just the link lights lining up, there was some kind of API issue or there was some kind of connectivity issue or a VLAN issue. Uh, Meraki really helps to kind of ease those pains. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I think that in the tech world, you know, getting no complaints or no calls, uh, you know, to your data centers or to your IT department is the best kind of compliment. <laughs> um, how would you say that it's been received by the folks working in their IT department or across campus for students, faculty, et cetera? Sure. I I, I believe for the folks who were here in under the the previous networking topology, you know, they're they're very thankful that not only is it is it faster, but the connections are more reliable. You know, we, we don't have to worry about long outages. That's going to be hours and hours long. If we have an outage, it's usually a couple minutes, and it's something not miraculated. So uh, that that's that's very very helpful uh, in that that aspect. I, I think think students. Um, we're we're deploying more of a of a consistent technology base. So we use the the MR30H within our residence halls, and so students even when they go to their their friend's room, they don't have to worry about finding where the network jack is or if it's going to be a different SSID. It's going to be consistent technology that works every time. That's great to hear, and I think that for students being able to have that consistent, reliable Wi-Fi is like something they don't want to ever have to think about. <laughs> so the fact that this is just working super smoothly and you know, kind of allowing every inch of campus to have that connection, that strong connection. I think that's a, I mean, a huge win. Absolutely. So I did, I did think of something related to esports I wanted to come back to, which is you mentioned, you know, really coming on the map, uh, Ottawa University's esports program in 2020, but that was the same time that you had this big closure and, you know, people weren't on campus. So, so what did that look like? How did that success really come to be if people were not on your campus? Sure. So we were one of the, the institutions that, um, in fall of, of 2020, uh, students came back on campus, and and the, it was really the the students who really helped drive that decision. There were a you know a large number of students within all of our residential campus locations 
they uh, they are student athletes. So, you know, well over 90 percent, I think, on, on, on both campus locations. So they want to participate in their event, whether it's basketball or softball or, or esports. Track and field. So, yeah, track and field. Right? There you go. Yeah. So so I, I think all, all those students really wanted to, to feel like they belonged and, and have that, that space to come back to to compete, to have some kind of norm, something relating to being normal. Right. So with um, with that, you know, we recruited a great team uh, and, you know, got to have the, the, the great opportunity and kind of pulled everything, everything together to, to win the national championship. I think that's I mean, it's a really amazing story to know that that all happened within your first year, but especially on top of it, having, you know, been half of a year that people weren't even on campus. I think it makes me really respect the work that you've done with this program and also really value the the work that the students put into making that, you know, (laughs) that huge accomplishment happen. I'm sure that was a really amazing way to put Ottawa on the map. Yes. So uh, I'm curious about what your plans are for the future of this esports program. You know, what, what, what are Adam Kaler's big goals and what, what are your dreams and um, you know, what, what are the plans for esports? So the success of esports really drove home the idea of remote viewing and, and, and streaming. Um, especially with the pandemic, we really found as, as a university within some tr- strategic thinking that the the ideas and the, the metrics of remote viewing really aren't going away, even as maybe the, the pandemic starts to die down. Uh, so there, there will always be that, that component of uh, folks who attend classes remotely uh, or if they're going to if there's a, a speaking engagement on campus and uh, folks are sick and stay home, but still want to view the event even up to the football game and even up to esports. So with that, we kind of launched a digital media department, which helps facilitate uh, the, the broadcasting infrastructure, uh, which of course lives on the, the Meraki network. Uh, so that's that to me really is kind of the next step within esports is just has those titles evolve, uh, being able to broadcast those and giving a really professional experience for the, the viewer at home. Uh, I, I think that combined with, you know, hoping that more developers kind of, um, clue into the the higher education space. And there's so many opportunities here for such great stories, such great competition. So um, I, I think as, as, as those folks weigh the options within the professional esports scene, hopefully they continue to invest within the collegiate space as well. It's exciting to think that this is going to only continue to grow as well. I, I am really curious about what the future will look like in a couple of years on your campus. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and, like I said before, I, I really can't take credit for anything besides the, the technical components of this. Our, our athletic department, um, our, our student affairs, you know, the, the folks who have who brought in the, the correct talent to really run the, the, the day-to-day. Um, can't say enough great things about all those folks who have accomplished that. I love that. You're such a higher ed person, too. I can tell at your core because you're thinking about all the other people it takes to run this, <laughs> not just the folks who are working in the IT department. Absolutely. We try. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, what does your IT department look like, though? So clearly you're the, you're the CTO here at Ottawa University, but um, what, what else does it look like both at the main campus and other campuses? Sure. So we, we kind of uh, we pride ourselves on being a, what we call a university wide service. Uh, so we really provide um, solutions to all campus locations. You, uh, there's a number of folks here on the Ottawa campus that would that help the Wisconsin campus or even the Surprise campus on a daily basis and full-time employees and, and part-time graduate students 
who are in the surprise campus, vice versa, right? So we really try to help whoever needs help at whatever time that they need help. Uh, so it's really, it's four departments that kind of uh, con- that construct what I oversee within IT. So there's our, our help desk, our data center, technical operations, cybersecurity, and of course that digital media department that I mentioned a little while back. So um, it's a it's a, a great team and we have some experienced leaders and some folks who are just a little bit newer to the, to the IT scene. Um, you know, folks who really kind of have that, that hunger, they, they really want to learn as, as much as they can. Uh, we, we launched a, a graduate assistant program to where students who already have their undergrad degree, they, they want to complete their, their MBA uh, through OU. They can work within the IT department to help kind of the financial strain of the, of the MBA itself. And then, of course, we have the, the tried and true student worker program, right? So for undergrad students to, to be the, the, the lab assistant for the computer lab and, and, and all those other components. So uh, it, it really is, it's, it's, it's a great group. Um, certainly love coming to work every day to work with my team. I love that. That's so sweet. Um, so when you say campus-wide or university-wide service, I'm picturing you have like 100 people working on staff. Is that, is that close to accurate? No, no, no. We have, uh, there are five full-time employees. Oh, that's totally <laughs> off. <laughs> and we have, uh, I think there are four, I'm sorry, five graduate assistants. And then between both campuses, probably about 10 or 15 undergraduate student workers. Uh, so yeah, we are a, a, a small team uh, with a very long to-do list, uh, but like a lot of nonprofit, um, private, uh, religious universities, you know, the, uh, there's always focus on, on the budget, uh, but we like to think with the talent that we have, what, what we can do and what we can augment. Yeah, for sure. So do you feel like Meraki and the equipment that you've had, the decision you made to kind of become a full stack campus, do you feel like that's allowed you to save money that would have otherwise gone to additional staffing people or uh, anything like that? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So not not only just money, but also time. Uh, so it. it Something as simple as the the cable test functionality within Meraki itself keeps, you know, having to get a specialist to go grab the tools, go three buildings over, right? They're going to ask, they're, they're going to get asked four questions on the way over that they got to fix before they get there, right? So just a lot of those typical IT pitfalls that you see everywhere, Meraki help, helps us to, to overcome those just with that single pane of glass. I love that example too of, oh, by the way, I need, can you help me with my Wi-Fi? It's like, have you turned it off and turned it back on again. Oh, okay. I'll try that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's always those are uh, my kid broke his Xbox. What do you think I should get instead? You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> wow. And then you're like, I can't answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, pal. Sorry. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, I'm glad your, your expertise is really coming in handy for those questions too. So, <laughs> um, well, I am curious, you know, what, what are some games you're playing right now? What are some things you're excited about that might be coming out? Cause I, I do believe that you also dabble in video games. I, I do. I'm very much a casual gamer. So I, it's, it's fun for me to see, uh, the, the students over in the esports arena compete. Uh, but then I, I realized like, man, I need to go back home and go back to play Mario. Like there's no reason <laughs> I should play Call of Duty. Like I, I can't, I can't do a, a one one hundredth of what these guys and gals do. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, I'm, I'm approaching forty, so I'm a '90s kid. So I, I love all the old Super Nintendo stuff. Um, I, my, my kids, I, I have, I have four boys, uh, and so they have like a Switch and PlayStation, all, all that stuff. And so I'm, 
I'm the one that they, they know which games they, they can't delete, like the Castlevania collection on the PlayStation 4. <laughs> that would be bad if you delete the Castlevania collection. Uh, you know, Mega Man, all, all, all those, uh, all the old Mario games on the Switch, that they, they know that's what that's all the dad can play, so they, they can't mess with those. <laughs> I love that. Um, are you somebody that is excited to finally have a release date for Breath of the Wild 2? Because I know I am. I, I'm excited for anything Zelda. It, it's, <laughs> Yeah, it, it it doesn't really matter what it was. If if there's some kind of content coming out that's that's Zelda related, I am I'm I'm all over it. I'm probably one of been one of those guys that liked those terrible games on the CDI back in the early '90s. So, <laughs> so I, I love that. Yeah. Um. Well, I know that that Nintendo Direct was terribly exciting for me, and I actually was thinking because you talked about how like you're also a big Zelda fan, and just like how your kids have also picked up elements of Zelda that they love too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's, there, there's little things, you know, with, within common media, you'll, 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 you'll hear like the, like, especially sounds from Zelda. Right. So like when you uncover the secret, it, it plays the, the tune, like my kids automatically know what that is. Right. So they, they know, Hey, someone just uncovered something that's very important somewhere. So. Oh my gosh. Um, wait. So Adam, that's actually my text ringtone. Is seriously. That- Seriously. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, as we're, as we're kind of wrapping up, we've, we've really gotten a, I think a really good sense of both how the esports program at your university has, you know, empowered students who maybe otherwise want to have, you know, discovered a university or attended given these opportunities to those students and also to people attending, um, auto university and enriching their lives on campus. You know, you talked about the other departments that, this has gotten to interact with too, whether that's, you know, student affairs or, um, you know, the music departments, their departments also using this space. Um, and I'm thinking more holistically too about, you know, your, your choice at the beginning to have Meraki on campus and how that's allowed you to just kind of build upon um, more easily and more scalable, like you said. First, uh, you know, folks at universities considering esports or implementing an esports program, what advice do you have for them? Oh, gosh. Uh- I would say um, keep an open mind, right? So the the, the typical esports athlete is is a good chance they're significantly different than maybe another athlete that you have specifically, or just a student in general. Uh, it's a great opportunity to focus on the technology and help technology tell your story of what kind of program that that you want to launch and how it can impact your your students. Um, there are just a million miles that folks still have to go in terms of doing more integration for esports within STEM and STEAM and, and really um, understanding how that, that, that will impact the, the total academic experience for, for a student. And, you know, I, and there's also something to be said for diversity within the esports space. So I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our, our former coach, um, Sergio Brock, who's now the esports director at the University of, of Maryland. He spearheaded and just so so proud of him and the the, the work that that, he, that he's done and now Alex continues to, to work on here in terms of um, having females uh, and people of color be a, a focus of, of the recruiting platform and and really kind of expanding esports to, to be more inclusive in general within the higher ed space. Absolutely, um, folks who maybe otherwise wouldn't have you know as easily accessed or had the doors open for them to be a part of this sport. You're giving those folks access and you know making sure that there's space for them at the table. Absolutely, yeah. Or at the console, I guess, so to speak. Well, it's still a table. I mean, you know, <laughs> we're still sitting down. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, it's a chair. I mean, yeah. 
I love that. And I'm glad you're highlighting that too, because I mean, those are huge disparities in higher education too. And being able to really specifically say, this is a way in which we've been able to both recruit and, you know, uh, continue to allow students to thrive on campus for maybe whom otherwise it wouldn't have been an opportunity for them to have this esports um, opportunity or compete at this level. So um, thank you for taking time to make sure that that was part of this story as well. I, I'm appreciating Ottawa University in a lot of different ways. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And last question is, you know, if anybody's on the fence about, you know, considering using Meraki as their solution on campus, what would you say to them? Yeah, I, w- I would say really sit down and, and look at what your requirements are. Like really look at all your, your checkboxes. What what do I need to have for, you know, my network to to perform at, at the peak? And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, you're going to find the majority of those boxes are, are checked by by Meraki. They have one solution or or another, you know, and we don't even, I mean, we don't really even use all the, the solutions Meraki has to offer, right? We, we haven't leveraged the MDM, right? There's, there's camera and, and, you know, all that, all that stuff. And so we, we, we just, we've dove so far into the, to the networking side that that's really, that's our, 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 our primary um, focus right, right now, but really as, as Meraki continues to expand its, its, its offering, there's probably not much that Meraki can't solve for you. <laughs> I love that. And I'm excited to see how that fits into your future V-Sports on your campus too. So Adam, thank you so much for your time today. I'm just really delighted with this conversation. This has been a ton of fun. Simon, thanks for having us. This has been a total blast. It's been really interesting. Um, Adam, thank you so much for taking time out to join us. It's been amazing. Um, Kaylee, amazing hosting. Um, thank you for that. Lots of uh, lots of good questions in there. And I certainly feel a little bit more educated now about this world of esports. I'm not even <laughs> going to tell you about my gaming life. Um, it's, it's, it's way too embarrassing. Um, I, and so I'm aging myself so badly. Simon. <laughs> okay, I came in slightly after Pong, all right? Slightly after Pong. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. Uh, we did decide to make this extra special bonus episode, as I said right at the beginning. Uh, and that's because we have this special event happening for higher education uh, this month. And uh, Kaylee, I think you had a word or two to say about that. Yes, thank you for reminding me. I appreciate that. So on October 27th, it's, the, it's this Thursday, from 11.15 to 12 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, you can actually learn a little bit more about how Cisco is empowering esports on a different campus. So uh, at Educause, there's an esports speaking session with Neil Tilley, who's from Cisco, and Todd Sutton, who's the assistant vice chancellor for UNC Greensboro. They're going to be talking about how Cisco and Meraki are powering solutions for the esports program on their campus. And for folks actually at Educause, you can go straight to room 610 and 612. If that's too specific, you can just check it out online. And uh, if you have any other questions about Meraki and how it can maybe power your uh, esports programs or just your university's campus, feel free to visit our higher education page on Meraki.com. Thank you for that. And uh, let's close things out. Uh, Don't forget, we will be back in a couple of weeks. Actually, it'll just be one week. Remember, this is an off-schedule episode we're doing here. So we will be back next week with another episode of Meraki Unboxed. Hope you're tuned in. If you're not a subscriber already, go to your podcast app and hit that subscribe button. We would love to have you as a regular here on Meraki Unboxed. Until the next time, bye-bye for now.